God is, is so, so, so good. You know, I, I was talking to Brother Tony about how God has blessed Debbie and my life with so many relationships that have enriched our lives. And, and Brother Tony and his wife Lisa are, are one of them. They have invested in Debbie and me. But I also was so blessed today. I, I was out here and uh, I turned around and I saw our oldest son, Debbie's down with our oldest son, Brandon, and uh, his wife, Kristen, and the grandkids. And I saw Kristen's dad here. And Gary Grasso is right here in the front. And, and he is another one of those gifts. He and his wife are such a gift to our son and our grandchildren and to Debbie and me. And we are so grateful. Um, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to dismiss any of the children here from six weeks to sixth grade. They're going to head over to the rainforest. Uh, if there's any quest age seventh through 12th, they're going to head over to the quest wing. If you would take a second and just turn and greet someone and you can be seated. I will tell, I will tell, is this on? Thank you. I will tell you that there is not enough time to give the proper introduction for um, the gift that God has brought to us today. One of the things, when you look at the flags out here, uh, Brother Tony Cook is one of the missionaries that we support on a regular basis. He goes to a lot of the places that you see flags flying for. And uh, for him to come here to be with us is a huge privilege and honor. And I was, yes, I was so excited when he said he would have time to be able to come because he's, I heard of him when uh, Frank and Kim had gone to Tulsa to Rama Bible Training Center. And he, Frank said, you know, I have this, this teacher. He's the best. You'd love him. And he sent me some of his teachings, and I heard him. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I want to be able to teach like Tony Cook. And God's still working on that. But you get to hear it directly from him. And he is not just a great Bible teacher. He is an amazing person. Uh, we had dinner last night at a restaurant here uh, in Rome, and we were just talking, and and uh, uh, the young lady that was waiting on us, she's actually here today. She's over here. Her her name is Morgan, and I was I was telling Morgan how great our guest speaker is, and she said, "Well, I'm going to come tomorrow," and she showed up, and we're so grateful you're here. Thank you, but I would like you to do something right now, and again. Uh, Brother Tony has written books, he has uh, podcasts, he has all sorts of things that are available to us. But if you would stand and let's give glory and honor and thanks to God for the gift of Brother Tony Cook. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Thank you very much. You can go ahead and be seated. I've had the privilege of uh, traveling full-time and preaching and teaching in, I think, 31 nations and 47 states over the years. And this is the kindest pastor I've ever met. He really is. I don't say that jokingly. He is so kind and so grateful and appreciative. I just appreciate your heart. and. Um, it's so good to be in Rome, New York. I know Jeremy alluded to small Rome, New York, but amazing things have happened here and, and come out of here. I'm, I'm kind of a, a church history junkie, and 198 years ago, 
uh, Charles Finney was preaching in this town. And uh, in 20 days, 500 people gave their hearts to God, surrendered their lives to God. And we don't put people on pedestals, but uh, it's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the truth of how much God loved us that uh, makes a difference in people's lives. And so, Pastor Jeff, thank you for the honor and the privilege of being here. Um, I want to say a, a real special thank you to this church because you have been so kind to help my wife and I in our ministry, in our travels, and with book translations and things like that. And so uh, I want to thank you for giving uh, generously to your local church because, number one, the church needs to have a strong financial base and it's because of people who are faithful that not only give of their finances, but of their time and their talent and, and just give of their hearts to serve and to love others. But it's because of your generosity that your church has been able to do things outside the four walls and outside of the community of Rome. And we've been one of those recipients. And so we want to thank you and just give a quick, quick word about what you've helped us to do. Um, I, I came in yesterday and got to see all the flags, and, and that just warms my heart because how many of you know God loves the whole world? He loves the different nations. He loves people that are from different places than we are, that speak different languages, that have different cultural backgrounds. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. And so, because you've helped us go to so many of these places, I just wanted to show up a, a quick slide that shows the nations that we've been able to preach in over the last 21 years. And uh, we're going back. Uh, the year before COVID, uh, my wife and I were out of the U.S. in different countries 93 days. And uh, so we were picking up a lot of international momentum. Uh, COVID put the brakes on that. Uh, but in the last couple of years, we've been resuming uh, much international travel. Uh, in August of this month, we're going to Egypt, to Turkey, and to Lebanon. And then in the month of November, we're going to be going to Angola. Uh, that'll be a new nation for us, and also to Zambia. And so many of these countries that you see, we've been to six, seven, eight times, and a few of them we've just been to once or twice. But uh, thank you for helping us. That's all we're wanting to communicate with this. Um, one of the things we've been privileged to do is to put a lot of the different teachings that we've been sharing in book form. And we have a slide with those as well. The center stack are our books in English. And the stacks on the left and the right are the books in different translations. And you can see some of the languages that those books are in. And so that's increasing kind of regularly. Uh, I just talked with a missionary from Ukraine. They're wanting to put one of our books into the Ukrainian language here directly. Uh, we have books in process in the Hindi language, the, the leading language of India, and Nepali, uh, the language of the people of Nepal. So we're just, uh, we're, so many people don't realize that in, in other countries, uh, pastors may not have hardly any educational opportunities. They may not have Bible colleges they can attend or seminaries they can attend. So when we're able to get these books into these different languages, uh, it's something we're very, very grateful for because many of these are being used in Bible schools and to train pastors in different nations. The next slide that we have is uh, a picture from Egypt a few years ago. Uh, we're going back there, but I was there a few years ago when four of our books were released into the Arabic language. And we now have 21,000 books that are circulating across Northern Africa and the Middle East in the Arabic language. And that book in the lower left-hand corner is our book called Life After Death. It helps people when they've experienced loss and understanding that God is still a God of hope and a God of resurrection. Resurrection would be a good name for a church, Pastor Jeff. I, I think that. But anyway, uh, that group that we work with there, they have 10,000 of the Life After Death books that are now going into one particular North African nation. They asked me not to mention it because of the 
sensitivity of it, uh, but um, uh, 10,000 of those books are going into a North African nation that is 99% Muslim. It's part of an initial thrust for soul winning and church planting and that type of thing. The next picture, thank you very much. These are some of uh, my Brazilian friends. We've been to Brazil many times and they speak Portuguese and they're just always thrilled when you know, they get new resources and new books and that type of thing. And then another picture that we have is uh, we've been putting our books on Audible lately. Um, I used to think, I don't want to listen to a book. I want to hold the book in my hand and things like that. And then a few years ago, I decided, well, I'm going to try listening to an audio book. I fell in love with it. And so we've been putting our books in audible format uh, for people to download and things of that nature. But I have some really fun pictures right now that I want to share with you. How many of you remember when Pastor Jeff and Debbie came with my wife and I to uh, the biblical sites. We, I, we started in Rome, I believe, and then went to um, uh, Greece, if I'm not mistaken, maybe went to Turkey a little bit, Ephesus. And uh, so that's Pastor Jeff and Debbie. We're about 50 miles north of Corinth, if you know the Corinthian letters in, in the Bible. Um, we are uh, taking this picture in a place called Delphi, uh, which is a city of great historical significance in Greece. And the next picture is, uh, that is the Corinth Canal. Uh, we had lunch there, and that's, that's right outside ancient Corinth. And then this last and final picture that we have of them is uh, on Mars Hill in Athens. That's, their, that's the city of Athens in the background. So I just want you to know, uh, they were an absolute delight to have on that trip. And uh, so thank you for sending them, allowing them to come, and allowing them to be a part. I want to share with you today a message uh, from, it's really from our newest book. It's, the book is called The End of Spectator Church, and it's available out there along with all the others. But um, I, I grew up in a, in a mainline traditional denominational church, and my parents made me go to church every Sunday. I thought they were pretty cruel, you know, to keep forcing me. And I kept saying, I don't understand what they're saying. I don't, I, you know, it's not fun. It's, you know, it's much more fun to go out and play with my friends and things like that. But, you know, now that I'm an adult, I realize, well, that was really good what they did in, in making me go to church. I, I probably gave them a lot of grief and whining and complaining and, and that type of thing. But I do remember one thing as a kid. I remember feeling like an outsider. I remember, you know, we were a Protestant group, so, um, you know, we didn't use the, the terminology, say, for example, that the Catholics would use or the Orthodox would use, uh, of a, or Anglicans even, of a priest. We had what we called a pastor. But still, in my mind as a little kid, um, I felt like they were kind of like a priest in that they had an inside connection, and I didn't. They were an insider. I was an outsider. I thought, well, they know God, but I don't know God. And if I'm going to learn anything about God, they're going to have to tell me because, you know, number one, I don't understand the Bible. I tried reading the Bible some when I was young and didn't understand it at all. And, uh, uh, but I just felt like I was an outsider, and that uh, I was, as a result, I was, when I went to church, I was a spectator. I was an observer. Now, I might participate in, you know, we always had a, a bulletin where we had to read certain things. So I would participate in that way. And we would sing hymns. Um, you know, today we have the words on the screen. Back then we were reading the words out of a book. So I did participate but to me, I just knew there was something really superficial about my level of participation. It wasn't, it wasn't profoundly impacting on the inside. I was just more going through the mechanics, going through the motions. But I just remember thinking as a kid that, you know, there, there must be different classes of Christians. And, and I thought, I'm in that external uh, spectator uh, position, but the, the preacher, 
you know, he's, he's got some kind of inside connection that I don't have. And um, I want to open with a verse today that uh, really, biblically, I want to share with you today why you are not an outsider, why you are not a spectator, why you are not an observer. And it was some different experiences in my life through many years where I began to understand that I, I was an insider, even though I didn't feel like it. But Peter said this, uh, the apostle Peter said to all Christians, not just a few, not just a select group, not just a group of preachers, but to every single believer, he said, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. How many of you know the temple in Israel was destroyed in 70 A.D.? The Romans came in and just totally, they didn't just destroy the temple in Jerusalem. They destroyed the whole city. And there has not been a temple uh, related to the Old Testament people, the Jewish people, uh, since 70 A.D. But Peter comes in and says that you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And I remember when I first heard and understood that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for buildings. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, we need them not to get snowed on and rained on and things like that. But this building is not technically the temple of God. It's, it's a building where we meet to worship God. But the Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are living stones, not dead rocks. We are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And then Peter says this, what's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, Jesus is our mediator. He's our bridge to God. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. I want you to know today, and maybe you've never been told this, uh, Pastor Jeff, I was uh, preaching at a church in Colorado. My wife was with me on that trip, and, and uh, she was back at our book table, and I had shared this message and she said, there were two little ladies about 85 years old that were coming down the hallway, walking by the book table. And I'd preached this message and she said, it was the cutest thing. She said, one of those ladies said to the other lady, she said, I've been in church all my life and I didn't know until today that I'm a priest. And uh, just, you know, tickled my wife. But I want you to know you are a priest. Now we're gonna talk about what that means. In, in a little bit, but, but we have a status with God. We have an identity, a position with God that really makes us insiders. Uh, and it's through the mediation of Jesus Christ because we don't come to God based on who we are. We come to God based on who Jesus is and what Jesus did. But through the mediation of Jesus Christ, we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Let's look at one other verse in Peter. It's really just a couple verses later that he told all these Christians. He was writing to Christians in many different cities. And he said, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter has told us two very powerful things in these two simple verses. Number one, that we are, a, uh, we are holy priests and that we are a royal priesthood. Now this is something that's pretty radical. It was radical to the people of that day because most of these people were familiar with the Old Testament system. And the Old Testament system was, let's just show a picture here of what that might have looked like. The Old Testament system had priests in the temple. There was one temple in Jerusalem. Uh, 
And all of the Jewish people, all of the people of the covenant uh, would, would uh, worship God at this temple. And in Jesus' day, there were 18,000 priests. They were descendants of Aaron. They were physical descendants. They were the sons and grandsons and so on. All the male descendants of Aaron served as priests in the temple. There were so many priests in Jesus' day that they were divided into 24 different groups. And if you were a male descendant of Aaron, ladies, sorry, you didn't qualify, uh, but that's today, today it's different. Every believer, it, it, male, female, young, old, is a priest unto God. But in that day, under the old covenant, it had to be a male descendant of Aaron with no physical defects. And once every, uh, well, out of each year, if you were a priest of those 18,000, you worked in the temple for two weeks. And, um, and then the other 50 weeks, you would farm your plot of land or do whatever else you did in life. But two weeks out of the year, you would work as a priest. And this priest, obviously, this is a reenactment, you know, type of picture to give us an idea. Every day, one priest would go inside the temple. Now, during the day, you know what they did outside the temple, right outside? They offered animal sacrifices. They would, people would bring a lamb, a goat, a bull, um, even if people were kind of uh, economically struggling, uh, they might only be required to bring a little turtle dove, but blood was always shed. It was uh, a, a faith that required sacrifices, literal physical sacrifices. And, and you say, why don't we do that anymore? Because the ultimate sacrifice has been made. The Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross, when he shed his blood, he was, as John the Baptist called him, he was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. A few years ago, I was preaching in a Muslim nation, and as we were on our way to church, I didn't know this when I went, but it was the Muslim day of sacrifice. And there were folks out in parking lots that were literally sacrificing animals and you know, going through all the religious ritualistic things and I just thought God thank you that we don't have to do that anymore thank you that Jesus was the sacrifice and his blood has brought forgiveness to us for all of our sins we don't have to do the the symbolic the ritualistic anymore what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary was more than enough but, but the Old Testament priests, after they had done all the sacrifices outside, one priest every day would be selected to go inside the temple. And they went into a place called the holy place. It wasn't the holy of holies, but it was the compartment right before that. And they would offer up on, on an altar with fire, they would offer up incense that would the smoke would arise and it would be perfumed, it would be very aromatic. And the priest that would stand there supervising this, those, those that smoke, the incense that was ascending, represented the prayers and the praise of God's people. Let's go to the next picture. It kind of gives a little uh, pencil-type drawing to what they did. How many of you think it'd be great if Pastor Jeff dressed like that for church on Sunday? I don't know about you, Pastor Jeff. I'm glad we got a little more casual dress code, you know. But in the Old Testament, they were very specific about what they had to wear and, you know, certain things, you know, regulations and that type of thing. But this is what they do. They'd go into the holy place and they would offer up um, these kinds of sacrifices. So how many of you remember, I'm going to take you back a few months, well, six months ago, uh, how many of you remember uh, during the Christmas season, we often share the story of Mary uh, when she conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things she did was she went and took a trip 
to see her cousin Elizabeth. How many of you remember that story? And Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, were the parents of John the Baptist. And as a matter of fact, I think she was about six months ahead of Mary. And when Mary went to see her cousin Elizabeth, you know, Mary was just barely pregnant, uh, but Elizabeth was about six months pregnant. Well, do you remember the story of how, you know, we always talk about how Mary and Joseph, you know, gave birth to Jesus, you know, that type of thing. But, but this other story, Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old. Do you remember that? And they were childless. And, and this is the story that we read. Let's, when Zechariah was in the temple, let's go. It says, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple. He was a priest. He was an Old Testament priest. For his order, that means his team, you know, one of 24 different teams, his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord. See, they had a little lottery system back then. It wasn't to get the mega million, you know, lottery, you know, type of thing that states have today. But it was a lottery for the, there, there were so many priests. And when only one got to go in per day, uh, it was a very special honor for a priest to be chosen to go into the temple to burn the incense at that altar. And, and uh, Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord. This was such a sacred honor that most priests never got to go inside the temple toward the presence of God. And Zechariah, for example, he was chosen at this time. Once he got to do it one time, he could never do it again. You're only allowed to do it once in your lifetime, and most priests never got to do it. But it says, uh, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood where? A great crowd stood outside praying. The point I'm wanting to make, now this is when uh, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and said that you and Elizabeth are going to have a child and, you know, was talking about John the Baptist. But the point I'm simply wanting to focus on here is that going into the presence of God was a rare privilege. Being able to approach God was something that only a special insider could do. And where, where did the great majority of the people have to stay? The great majority of the people, the commoners, the lay people, as we might say, they had to stay outside. They had to keep their distance from God. So when we tell you today, really when the Bible tells us today, when the Apostle Peter, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that every single one of us is part of a holy priesthood and that we are royal priests to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. How many of you are glad we don't have to offer up animal sacrifices to God? We get to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. All of a sudden, every Christian becomes an insider. Every believer has the privilege of entering the presence of God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at another passage here, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. Revelation 1, 6, and I'm going to grab a drink here, excuse me. The Apostle John says that Jesus has made us kings and priests to God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we have witness from Peter. Now we have witness from John that we are priests. So now let's establish this. What does it mean? We could stop right here 
and uh, you could leave church and somebody say, what did the preacher talk about today? And he said, well, we find out we're priests. And that person could say, well, what does that mean? You say, I don't have any idea. He didn't talk about that. <laughs> so to know something without knowing what to do with it is not helpful very much. So let me give you a definition here. It's going to be on the screen as well. <coughs> the priesthood of the believer, that's what you and I have, means that we all have the privilege. Everybody say privilege. We all have the privilege of accessing, accessing the presence of God and the blessings of God as well as the responsibility of sharing and conveying those blessings with others. I believe that there's a paralyzing element that happens when you feel like you're an outsider. When you feel like you can't approach God, that somebody else has to approach God on your behalf. That that you don't have any means of knowing God yourself, that only the person behind the pulpit can know God and, and they're the only one that can tell you something about him. Let's look at a great verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 says, Now he, God, uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. <clears throat> that is priestly language. When that priest in the Old Testament went into the holy place and offered up that, that incense on the altar, the smoke would permeate all of his clothes, his beard, his hair, his head covering, his, his turban. Um, that priest, when he left that place, have you ever been around somebody that used way too much perfume? Okay, that's what we're talking about. Except this was a very special, uh, people would associate the aroma of that fragrance with the temple, with the presence of God. But when the priest came by, there was an aroma. You didn't have to see the priest. You would smell the priest. Now, what Paul is talking about here, I don't think he's talking about a natural, physical aroma that you would smell with your, um, you know, nose. Uh, but he, there is a spiritual aroma. Uh, there is a spiritual sense <coughs> in which things carry a spiritual aroma. Have you ever noticed that when you're in church, when you're, ever, when, when you're with people who are worshiping and praising God, there's something in the atmosphere that is different. There is a spiritual aroma. And the Apostle Paul says that as believers, we get to carry the presence of God. I want to share with you five things. This will not take long. This will be fairly quick. But I want to share with you five things, five ways that you and I get to function as priests. For some of you, this may be the first time you've ever heard that you're a priest. But I want you to know, how do you function as a priest? Number one, we function as priests when we offer our very selves, including our bodies, to God. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, if you went to the temple to worship God, you needed to take a sacrifice. had to be an animal. And you would give that animal to the priest, and he would inspect it, make sure it was perfect, because you had to give your best to God. He would inspect your offering, and then the priest 
would take that offering, and I know this is kind of rough, but he'd kill the offering, the blood would be shed, it would be put on the altar, and that was your offering to atone for your sins. But in the New Testament, you don't have to bring an animal to church, but you're a priest, and God still likes sacrifices, God still likes offerings, but he doesn't require that. What kind of offering do we present to God? Look at that again, Romans chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I remember as a kid thinking that my obligation was to give God one hour a week. I remember in some of my arguments with my parents, you may think I was just a horrible kid. Well, mildly, mildly horrible, but overall charming and cute. Um, just kidding. Uh, but I just, I just didn't like church. And I remember my mom saying to me, and, and uh, I, I know she meant super well, and, and it, I, she's right. She said, Tony, God gives you your whole life. Can't you just give him one hour out of the week? And, you know, so, okay, thanks for the guilt trip. I guess so. Let's go to church and that type of thing. But can I tell you something? God wants more than one hour out of your week. I'm 100% a believer in going to church because the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And we need all the benefits of, you know, fellowship and togetherness and encouraging one another and just coming to a place. One of my pastor friends says when people come into church, he says, I'm so glad you're here. He said, we're not here to see through you. We're here to see you through. You know, this is a place where people believe in each other, are cheering for each other. When you hurt, we care. We hurt with you. When you celebrate, we celebrate with you. We all need a spiritual family. But I want you to understand that God wants more out of our lives than just one hour a week. He says, present your bodies to God a living sacrifice. Now, I know it's really popular in this day and age to say, well, this is my body. I'll do with my body what I want to do with it. But the reality is, if we read the Bible, we find out that our body belongs to God. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his precious blood. He died to purchase us in the entirety of our being, spirit, soul, and body. And God asks that we give him our body as well as our heart, our mind. The Bible says you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the first way that we function as a priest is to offer our bodies to God. And, and then the common English Bible of, version of that says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God, this is your appropriate priestly service. So you understand that when you become a priest, when you understand that you're a priest, God wants everything that you are, everything that you have. He wants it presented to him in worship and surrender. Number two, we function as priests when we worship praise and pray. We function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. You know, somebody could have come in earlier in the service and, and somebody could say, well, what are they doing? And the person might say, ah, they're, they're singing songs. Well, externally we were singing songs, but, but spiritually we were offering sacrifices of praise to God. Um, in, in the book of uh, Psalm 141, verse 2, uh, David prayed this, Let my prayer be as the evening sacrifice that burns like fragrant incense, rising as my offering to you as I lift up my hands in surrendered worship. And Hebrews 13, 5 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So again, 
in the Old Testament, they always offered sacrifices to God. In the New Testament, we offer sacrifices to God, but it's a different kind of sacrifice. We offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. We're doing more than just speaking words. We're doing more than just singing words. We're, we're, we're worshiping God uh, from our heart. That is our, our New Testament uh, priestly privilege and responsibility. Number three, we function as priests when we serve. You know, a church like this uh, doesn't happen just because you have a, a pastor, a good pastor who preaches the Bible. Uh, a great church like this happens because many people are involved serving. You know, people are um, right now, people are running the sound and the video, the, the video screens, and, and um, you know, people are throughout the week are cleaning the building, and people right now, what do you call it, the kids? The rainforest, okay, kids, you know, there's, there's workers over serving and loving the kids and teaching them and leading them, and uh, you have ushers and greeters and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have people that clean the parking lot in the winter. This is something that we're not used to in Oklahoma, but your kind of winters and things like that. It takes all kinds of people rolling up their sleeves, volunteering, doing all kinds of different functions and duties for this church body to be able to function. And one of the privileges that we have is teaching in many different nations about the importance of not just being a spectator in church, but, but everybody rolling up their sleeves and getting involved some way, somehow. And we use this as an illustration in John chapter 12 and verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with the fragrance. Now, in 21st century America, we don't fully comprehend that, but if you go back and you study their ancient practices and their customs and, and their culture, um, if you've ever been to Israel, today you go to Israel and there's lots of rocks and there's lots of dust, and there's desert surrounding. You know, there's the Judean desert. And, and back in the day, when you traveled by foot, and you were wearing sandals, and you showed up at somebody's house after walking a few miles, your feet were going to be very dusty and very dirty. And we've seen this in all kinds of movies about Jesus, where, you know, they would wash people's feet. Um, it was just like today you go into somebody's house and they might say, you know, do you want some tea, some water, a soft drink? Or do you call it soda? What do you call it up here? Soda. It's soda in, Minnesota, or in uh, um, New York. Um, I know it is in Minnesota too. But anyway, um, but, but in that culture, when you went into somebody's house, uh, there would be a servant whose job it is to wash your feet. And they would use a basin of water, and they would use a towel, and that was just, that was basic hospitality. That was Hospitality 101. Something different happened here. Mary did not use a basin. She used a jar of expensive perfume. This perfume, the Bible goes on to tell us a few verses later, was worth a year's wages. Now, I, I don't typically buy my wife perfume because she's really particular and she wants to pick it out herself and things like that. Um, but, but I know perfume can be kind of expensive and, and usually the expensive stuff uh, comes, and, and she's not into all that, but, but the, the real expensive stuff comes, ladies, what, in a half ounce or quarter ounce. I mean, it's just, you know, if, if somebody gets you today eight ounces of perfume, uh, they got it at Walmart and it's not the expensive kind, okay? But, but in this particular case, Mary had an eight ounce jar of expensive perfume. This was valued at a year's wages. And she takes that 
and pours it on Jesus' feet. So she didn't use a basin of water. She used a jar of expensive perfume. And she didn't use a towel. She used her own hair. There, there's something that there, there's priestly imaging in here because those, those expensive perfumes, those fragrances were part of the worship of God in that particular day. And there was something about the, the devotion that Mary had, the love that she was expressing. Uh, this was really a, Jesus said, it, it was a form of preparing him for burial. You know, kind of a pre-embalming. I know that sounds kind of weird, but, but it was very sacred. And it was done out of, out of deep devotion and love that, that Mary did this. You might think, well, if Jesus came to our town today, you know, well, this, this, that's, this kind of thing's not part of our culture today. But somebody might say, I'd take Jesus to the best steak restaurant in town, you know, that type of thing. That's your way of showing devotion and, and that type of thing to him. But, you know, and, unless something really unusual happens, Jesus is not physically coming to Rome, New York. But you know what Jesus said? He said, inasmuch... As you've done this to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. In other words, the whole house with Mary, the whole house was filled with the fragrance of her act of devotion. And I believe that when Christians really love one another, serve one another, lay down their life for one another, give their best to one another, when they believe in each other, when they encourage one another, there, there's, a, there's a priestly fragrance that again fills the house. It's not just the action of what Mary did, but it was the devotion behind it. Is the love behind it. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16, it says, Make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. Share what you have with others. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice that takes place in the kitchen and workplace and on the streets. See, we are called to live a priestly life. Our, when, we, when we surrender our lives to God, it is an act of priestly worship. When we uh, pray and worship and praise, we're doing it not as outsiders, but we're doing it the same way that priests would have done it in the holy place in the temple. When we serve uh, one another, it, there's a priestly element to it. And number four, we function as priests when we give. Um, you know, COVID kind of changed a lot. Um, uh, you know, in the past, buckets or plates were always passed and things like that. And then electronic giving became more, you know, uh, popular and people pushed a button on their sof cell phone to give to their church and things like that. So I'm not really so much concerned about the mechanics of how people give to their church. Uh, and, and really, we're, ultimately, we're giving it to God. But I am concerned, not about the mechanics, but I am concerned about the heart devotion, that when we give something, that we're giving it as an act of love to God, not because somebody puts us under pressure, not because somebody manipulates us, not because somebody makes us feel guilty if we don't give. But Paul... Um, he, he wrote the Philippian church, and this is what he said about their giving. He said, for I've received the gift, and that was a financial gift, that you sent by Epaphroditus, and I viewed it as a sweet sacrifice perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness, which is so pleasing to God. Isn't that beautiful? When, when I read this verse in this particular, it's actually a paraphrase of Scripture. Um, but when I read this, I thought, Tony, how many times have I given just mechanically? 
How many times have I just given ritualistically? How many times, well, it's offering time, you know, my wife and I, and, and she's, she's way more spiritual than I am. She's, you know, she's a very devout, devoted, wonderful woman of God. And so she probably always does it right. But probably there are times I've just, okay, it's time to give, write out the check, you know, because I'm old school, um, you know, drop it in the offering bucket. But what if we understood that when we give, it's really an act of worship to God. It should be done with a heart of love, with genuine gratitude and appreciation uh, to God. Paul says that when we give with the right heart and the right way, that our offerings are a sweet sacrifice perfumed with the fragrance of faithfulness and that it's pleasing to God. Number five, the fifth way that we function as priests is when we evangelize. And that just simply means to share the love of God with other people, to share the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ with other people. Paul said this, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so when we proclaim the gospel of God, when we demonstrate through our life and we articulate with our words that God loves people, that God loves people. And, and I love what somebody said, God loves me just the way I am. How many of you know that God loves people just the way they are? And sometimes we want to see people, you know, straighten everything up and correct everything and, you know... But, but the Bible says, you know, that we come to God as we are. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Uh, the, the old saying, it's not in the Bible, but God loves me just the way I am. But he loves me too much to let me stay this way. Because God wants to rescue us from har harming ourselves or harming others and, and things of that nature. But, but when we proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and we can come to God because of his shed blood and receive forgiveness, receive a new start, receive a new beginning, Paul calls that a priestly duty. And he says, so that the Gentiles, Gentiles are people who do not have a covenant with God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So whenever the gospel goes out and somebody is attracted to, to Jesus, Jesus, I need your love, I need your forgiveness, I need your mercy, I need a new start. You know, the Bible says if any person is in Christ, they become a new creature and that old things pass away and all things become new. When, when people understand that and they respond to the gospel, their very lives become an offering to God because he accepts them. He receives them as his children. So the person, whether it's a preacher behind a pulpit or just you in your daily life and your neighbors and friends and coworkers or Anybody you come in contact with, if you ever have the privilege of sharing with Jesus, expressing Jesus in such a way that somebody comes to God through the gospel, that's a priestly duty because that person becomes an offering that God receives. So what are we saying today? We're saying that you're a priest, man, woman, old, young, no matter what background, if you are in Christ, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, God didn't just say you're forgiven. God didn't just say you're a child of God. But God said you're forgiven. You're a child of God. And you're, you now are one of my priests. You represent me. You have the privilege of coming into my presence is what God says. You, you have the privilege of accessing my presence and my blessings. And you have the, priv the responsibility of representing me to others. So I want you to be aware you're a priest. You, you're somebody kind of special, just so you'll know. And what are those five ways? Let's look at these real quick in closing. Number one, we function as priests 
when we offer our very selves, including our bodies, to God. We function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. We function as priests when we serve. Much of that is seen through volunteering in the local church, but, but we can serve at other times too. We can serve with a position or without a position, with a title or, or without a title. We can serve through you know, disciplined times when we show up at the right time and do the right things. Or we can, we can serve when we see a spontaneous need and just spontaneously meet it. We function as priests when we give of our resources to God. We function as priests when we evangelize, when we communicate both with words and our lifestyle the goodness of God and the mercy that he extends to all people. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for our time today here at Resurrection Life in Rome. And thank you for Pastor Jeff and Debbie and their whole team. And, and thank you for every member Lord, we can have different positions and different responsibilities and different titles. But Lord, at the basic grassroots level, we're all priests. And I thank you, Lord, that, that this is not a church that's filled with just spectators and observers. But Lord, we, we, you've called us to be insiders. You've called us to be partakers and participants in all that your spirit is doing and, and wanting to... Uh, just take us from the place of being saved and born again all the way to spiritual maturity and fruitfulness. Lord, I just thank you for the good work that you're doing in, in every single person's life. And Father, if there are people here today that have never taken that first step of saying, yes, Jesus, I want to surrender to you. You know, maybe there are people here today, you're like I was at one time. I was raised in church, and even though I talked about how reluctant I was and, you know, what a kind of a brat I was about things, I did believe, you know, I believed mentally in God, and I believed mentally in Jesus, and I had heard, you know, there's heaven and there's hell, and, and I just basically, you know, I just wanted to, you know, do it good enough so that I could go to heaven, and for a long time, I misbelieved that if, if, I, if I was just good enough, if I was just a good enough person, that I would go to heaven. And I'm so thankful that somebody told me, Tony, you're never going to be good enough to go to heaven. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all come short of God's glory. We all need forgiveness. Nobody's good enough to go to heaven on their own. And, and, and some people think, well, if I'm perfect enough, you'll never be perfect enough. Some people think, well, if I'm religious enough, if I just go through enough religious you know, rituals and mechanics and do all these duties and works and things like that, I'll be, you know, maybe I'll be religious enough to go to heaven. I'm so thankful that somebody loved me enough to tell me, Tony, you are never going to be good enough to go to heaven. You're never going to be perfect enough to go to heaven. You're never going to be religious enough to go to heaven. Heaven's not for good people, perfect people, or religious people. Heaven is for one type of person, one type of person only, and that is a forgiven person. That's a person who has given their life to Jesus, and Jesus has most importantly given his new life to them. And I'm just so thankful that somebody loved me enough to tell me the truth that, um, that we've all sinned. You know, that may sound like bad news, but really it's the truth. It's good news because once we know that we've missed it, that we've fallen short of God's standard in life, then we're willing to look for somebody who has a solution. And Jesus is our solution. He is the one who died on the cross and shed his blood for our forgiveness and he said, if we would believe on him, we would never perish but have everlasting life. I know there's people probably watching online and there's people here present. And I just want to lead us in a prayer. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, this is your opportunity to do that. If you've accepted God at some point in your life, but you've gotten off track, you've turned away, you've kind of maybe gone the wrong direction um, the Bible talks about the prodigal son who went away from his father's house and, and just, you know, ended up 
being pretty miserable, really miserable because things weren't right. This is an opportunity to just say, God, I'm, I'm surrendering my life back to you. And maybe for others, it's just your, it's your t- opportunity to say as a priest, God, I'm surrendering my body to you. You know, I'm giving myself wholly and entirely to you. Would you all pray this with me out loud? Just say this from your heart. Everybody say, dear God, thank you that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. He shed his blood for my forgiveness. But Jesus did not stay dead. You rose Jesus from the dead. He is alive. He's offering me, all of us, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of acceptance, the gift of eternal life. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and as my Lord. I believe you're alive. I receive all the gifts you're offering me. And I give you my life. I surrender all of my life and all of my heart to you. Help me to live for you and to glorify you all the days of my life. I thank you that you've given us a brand new life, a brand new start. And we just thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. It is so good to be with you. Pastor Jeff, we love you and and Miss Deb so much. And um, I just, again, want to thank you guys for giving so super generously to your church and uh, being just good, faithful people. I know your pastor loves you so much. And uh, and appreciate you being a great church family. What I, what I shared from today is our book called The End of Spectator Church. If you're interested in that or any of our others, they're just out in the lobby as you exit on the left side there. God bless you. Pastor Jeff, I'll turn it to you, sir. You know, as um, Brother Tony was, was speaking to us, it, it so much resonated in me about what we've been learning about the kingdom of God and how God sets the solitary in family. And we all need family. We all need people that believe in us, that will stand with us, that will stand for us. And if today you, you turned to Christ and you gave your life to the Lord and you received that forgiveness, uh, whether here or online, you know, let somebody know about it because we want to celebrate with you, because this is a new and living way. It's a new beginning. Um, But it's so important that we as the royal priesthood, we as new creations in Christ, we as believers would be open-armed in inviting and enjoying the new fellowship with, with those that are coming into the kingdom um, I'm so grateful for, for Brother Tony and for what he, he is and what he does because God uses him in marvelous ways just like he has today. But if you would stand right now, I just want us to extend our, our faith, our hands, and our love to Brother Tony, and that represents his wife, Lisa, and the whole ministry all over the world. And we're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your servant. Uh, Brother Tony and his wife Lisa and their, their sacrifice, their service, their surrender to you to be available, to go where you want them to go and do what you want them to do that impacts thousands and thousands of lives. We thank you for the impact today. Lord, there was a, an impartation and an investment that that you made through this vessel today in our lives. Help us to not only just hear your word, but Father, we're to be doers of your word. Help us to apply this and, and grow in this each and every day so that we'll be reaching the people that you so love, that you gave your only son. 
Thank you for the salvation that we enjoy every day and the new family that you have put us in because we are your children. You are our father. And as our father, we have more in common than we ever had before. So father, in a world that's so divided, help us to show your love, your peace, your hope, your joy, your life that is in Christ, available to everyone, everywhere. We thank you, Father, for this. And as we go this week, we thank you that you go ahead of us and prepare the way. You're our rear guard. You uphold us with your right hand of righteousness. And Father, you cover us. Cover us with your songs of love, of life, of peace, of hope, joy that causes us in a very unstable world to become very stable and secure. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. well, make yourself available to the, the books out there and uh, have a great week. Happy Father's Day, dads.